Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Now, many of you uh, may or may not be very familiar with the term Palm Sunday. Any of us that grew up in church, that's something that we grew up hearing about on a yearly basis or more. Uh, but people that didn't grow up in church don't ever really maybe have the opportunity to hear about and know what Palm Sunday is about. And so we're going to dive into that today. And it fits perfectly with this series upgraded, talking about the Holy Spirit, and you'll see that uh, very shortly as we walk through the topics today. But this specific day, Palm Sunday, is the day that we celebrate Jesus making his entrance into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and they put palm branches down before him and declared that he was the Messiah. It's an amazing day and part of our Christian heritage and our Christian history uh, to celebrate, but there's so much that goes into it. And I had this thought while I was preparing about about this idea of making an entrance. We uh, have few times just as regular folk that we make entrances uh, that are specific or strategic. I think of how a bride at a wedding makes her entrance and everyone stands and they see her for the first time uh, clothed and adorned and beautiful and uh, on, on her big day. I remember Jennifer and I, when we were uh, announced for the first time, we came into our reception. I'll never forget the picture of that moment as we made our entrance. Uh, and it was such a cute picture of a couple 20-something-year-old kids that were crazy in love uh, and were making their entrance. Um, I think of uh, in, in the fight world, the fight game, uh, how, how fighters will make an entrance and, and they'll come in with their entourage and they'll come in with their music uh, uh, you know, and then they get in the ring and they kind of peacock around a little bit uh, because they're making a statement and they're, they're establishing who they're going to be in that moment. But in our culture, we have these weird phenomenons called red carpet events where these so-called celebrities uh, show up and they are making their entrance and they get out of their limo and they are wearing whatever the finest gowns or suits or whatever, and they're making a statement uh, for their public or for their fans. Uh, I think of some of the crazy ones. Maybe you're uh, like me. I actually like to see the best and the worst of those. Some people are, are dressed hideously. Uh, for example, many of you may remember, you might not remember her name, the Icelandic singer Bjork who showed up in a gown that was a giant a swan or goose or something. And, and you may remember that image burned into your brain, one of the worst dresses in all history. Um, not the worst though, because the worst was probably when Lady Gaga wore a meat dress. I don't know what statement she was trying to make uh, at that moment. I'm sure it meant something to her, but for the rest of us, it was just plain weird. But when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem, he was making a statement. He was up to something. He had an agenda that day, and it wasn't just uh, something that was, that was by happenstance, but he literally was fulfilling prophecies that were hundreds of years old. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey today. I'm going to read to you from two different perspectives, two different um, versions of the same gospel. There's one gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, but there are four gospel writers that have different accounts. 
And inside of those four gospels, there are three that are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which means they are very much in sync with so many of their views and perspectives. And then we have the book of John that is written from a completely different perspective than the other gospel accounts. Uh, the book of John was written at a later date, and it was written by the only a member of the inner circle of Jesus Christ, John, and he brings to light different occasions and occurrences that bring a completely different perspective uh, than the other gospel accounts do. So as we jump into this story here today, I want to read to you, uh, starting out of the book of John, and I want to cover some of the things that John thought were so important to put into the story, and then I want to lay those over Mark's account, uh, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and, and you'll see some really amazing things that are overlaid inside of those two stories that happened at the exact same time. They happened um, together, synonymously, but from different perspectives, different writers focused on different things. So as we start out in the gospel of John. This will be in the 12th book of John. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Kids, I hope you've got your uh, color, coloring books and crayons and whatever, and you can draw whatever the Holy Spirit inspires you uh, to draw while you're in the middle of service and take some really great notes. We've actually had some amazing stories of children that have been with their families worshiping and receiving the Holy Spirit and having incredible encounters with God. I know this is a wild and unconventional time in our nation's history and inside of church history as well, and we're making the most of that. But at the same time, we're still seeing God move and do incredible things. So thank you for staying tuned in. Thank you for sharing uh, our services and our experiences and encounters. Thank you for commenting. Please send us your comments. And, and if you need to be in touch with us, uh, you can email us, info at oakschurch.com. We don't want anyone in our congregation going through something and not having their church body behind them. If you need groceries, if you need prescriptions, if you need help with a bill and you're part of our congregation, guys, we're not. This church, Oaks Church, is a church that is all about our family. We're about the family of God and the scriptures are very clear that we're to take care of the family of God and we're also gonna take care of the people outside of our church to the best of our abilities. But far be it from us to have anyone inside of our church family going through um, something right now and going through it without their family. We're here for you and we want to help you. In John's account, it's a beautiful account, and he literally starts at, with, with the miracle of Lazarus. So it's, it's amazing how this whole thing is tied together. Most of you know the story. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends, and he was sick, and he died. And Jesus intentionally waited to go to him because he was going to do a miracle that would absolutely change history and establish the moment before he himself rose from the dead. He raised his friends Lazarus from the dead and declared that he was the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. And in John chapter 12, we start the story and Jesus is back at Lazarus's house and Lazarus is there reclining at the table and they're eating together. They put a meal together in Jesus's honor and Martha and Mary are there and the disciples are there and they're having a great time hanging out and Jesus is literally hanging out with his friend Lazarus who just a few weeks earlier or days earlier was dead and in the grave for four days. So this, it starts with this beautiful miracle and then it moves on into the traditional part of the story in verse 12, I believe, 
when Jesus uh, begins to uh, come into and make his entrance into Jerusalem, and it specifically describes that part of his entourage, when Jesus was making this entrance, very likely um, it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all his disciples and all these different people that believed in him, but the writer John makes sure to point out that so many, the great multitude of the eyewitnesses of Lazarus Lazarus, who came back from the dead at Jesus's command, they were there and they were broadcasting the story. This is Lazarus. This is who Jesus raised from the dead. And the the actual Pharisees were furious and they literally said, "The, the whole world is going after this guy. And they plotted to kill Lazarus because his testimony and what Jesus had done in his life were too powerful for them to overcome. So in verse 12, it says, the next day, right after this feast at Lazarus's house, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So Jesus is fulfilling all of these prophecies and he's being declared as the Messiah, that the, the prophecy that he would enter, that they would call him the son of David, that they would declare that he was the king of David's lineage, that he would be riding on a donkey. And then he goes on through that. He's riding down and he takes a look at Jerusalem and it touches his heart. And, and he uh, begins to say this in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus's experience here riding on this donkey coming into Jerusalem is initiated with the miracle of resurrection of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. All of the testimony about that going forth and spreading the fame and the name of Jesus, the people coming out by the thousands and literally laying down these symbols of royalty. The palm branches are a symbol of royalty before him. And he's riding on a donkey and that symbolizes peace. If a king was riding on a war horse, he was a king of war. But if he was riding on a donkey, he was a king of peace. And this is one of the big points that we'll make in just a few moments that is a distinction between the type of kingdom that Jesus was coming to establish and the type of kingdom that the people who were declaring him king were hoping that he would establish. But let's jump for a moment to Mark's version of this story or his perspective, his account of this story. And Mark uh, starts with the, the command of Jesus to his disciples to go and Uh, find a donkey that had never been ridden. He literally says, go and find a donkey and untie it. And if anybody asks you, just tell them, the Lord is in need of your donkey. And he's just gonna borrow it. He's gonna bring it back to you. But another part of the translation uh, or the, uh, the Messiah's promise was that he would come on a donkey that had not been ridden on a colt of a donkey. And so it was a specific type of donkey that Jesus would come and enter in on. And in Mark's version, we're going to start here, I believe, in chapter 
uh, I'm sorry, chapter 11, Mark 11, verse seven. This is an incredible chapter. I'm so excited to share with you. Um, Verse seven says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead um, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. The very first thing that Mark describes that's different than the perspective of John, John describes Jesus having a moment of saying, should I back down from this? Should I, should I shy away from this moment of my death? Um, because he had that revelation of that he says, no, this is the reason I've come. Father, glorify your name. And an audible voice from heaven is heard by the people of God declaring that he was going to glorify himself through Jesus. But Mark's account of the story has Jesus um, going directly to the temple. His first stop in other gospels um, uh, verify this as well. The first thing he did was go to the temple courts. And it says this, he, that he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That's where Lazarus lived. So he went back to Lazarus's house. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves and because it was not the season for figs. But then he said to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard him say it on reaching Jerusalem. Now remember, he'd already gone to the temple. He checked it out. He looked around. They went back to Lazarus's house. They hung out, had dinner, did whatever. Get up the next morning. Jesus curses the fig tree. He's hungry. Uh, The disciples have to be thinking, dude, did he just wake up in a bad mood today? He's cursing a fig tree. It's not even fig season. This is kind of aggressive, Jesus. But they have no idea what's about to happen. That Jesus, the night before at the temple, had made a plan. He had premeditated a plan of what he he was going to do the next day. He would have done it that night, but it was already too late and it wasn't going to have the impact that he needed it to have. So when he comes back at this point, it says that Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. Jesus, not only, this is what's happening, let me explain to you, he has been declared as the Messiah, he's been declared as the king, Uh, he's been declared as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of David, but now what he does is he goes into the temple, he doesn't go to the palace, he goes into the temple and he turns the tables over and he takes over the temple. And for the rest of the week, Jesus was in charge of the temple. Why? Because Jesus wasn't just the king of kings. Jesus is also the high priest of heaven. He's the high priest that would go in and take care of the sins of the people. And that's what Jesus has done for you. Jesus took care of your sins once and for all on that cross. And next week when we celebrate, uh, not just on Friday night where we talk about uh, Jesus's suffering and we talk about his, uh, his, the price that he paid on Good Friday is the traditional day that we celebrate that. When, when we look into that, that's a beautiful thing that Jesus took and he paid the price. But what's even more beautiful is he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave and Easter Sunday, we're gonna celebrate that all from our houses together. We'll be 
live on Sunday morning, and we can't wait for you to share and to worship with us next week. But Jesus, when he goes uh, in this moment, he's literally setting himself up as the head of the temple. And what happens here next is, is they, they leave from that place because um, it's evening again. And this is now in verse 20 or verse 19. When the evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, they went along and they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Now pay close attention because we're getting to the point of this message today where things are gonna begin to come together and you're gonna begin to understand the the point from one perspective and the other and what God wants you to see and understand today. It says that they saw the fig tree and Peter remembered what Jesus had done the, the earlier that, that, that the day before, the morning before when he was in such a bad mood and cursed a fig tree and then goes in the temple and turns stuff over and man, he was on a rampage that day. But then the next day, they're walking back to Jerusalem and Peter looks and sees the exact same fig tree and now is what he says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse is withered. Jesus responds, have faith in God. What a, what a, what a, aggressive response that Jesus has there for him. Have faith in God. How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, why do you have such little faith? How long must I be with you? He was constantly challenging and chiding his disciples to have bigger faith, to see from a bigger perspective. And this lesson we're about to dig into right here is a lesson that literally echoes through eternity and establishes the point of the Holy Spirit, the point of what Jesus was trying to get across to his people in these very last few hours of his life as a human being on the planet before he would give his life for the sins of the whole world. He goes on to say, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And then he encourages his disciples to go and forgive anyone they have unforgiveness against because unforgiveness will hinder your prayers. But that's not where the story ends. The very next part of the story that Mark records is now all of these Pharisees and these religious leaders coming to Jesus and they're questioning and they're challenging his authority. And they say, by whose authority did you do this? And Jesus responds to their question with a question and says, let me ask you this question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. Whose authority did John operate in? His authority, John the Baptist, when he was baptizing, you call him a great prophet. Was it his authority or was it God's authority? And they wouldn't answer. And so Jesus said, neither will I answer you. Jesus outwits them again. But he leads us to the point of both of these accounts that this story, this Palm Sunday story, the story of Jesus coming in as a king of peace, it's all about authority. Authority is a very big thing in the kingdom of God. When it talks about the power of God in our lives, one of the Greek words for that is exousia. It's the executive authoritative power of God, the ability to get stuff done. And Jesus, in the midst of this, he uses Lazarus as his Literally, as his living illustration, Lazarus is with him walking along. All of the people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they saw the authority of Jesus Christ, the authority over death, 
the authority to raise from the dead. They witnessed it with their own eyes. His living illustration was spreading his fame and spreading belief in him. And they were coming out by the droves, worshiping and celebrating. And then we see from Mark's perspective, the whole thing was about authority, not just as the king of kings, but authority as the high priest to go into the temple and to create the entry point from but, but for, for mankind to have access to the Father. See, the religious system before that was very much exclusive. And the only people that had access to God was the actual high priest. But Jesus, we discussed last week, when he rose from the dead, the veil was torn. It was ripped in two, uh, when, actually, when he died. And, and this incredible story of the presence of God leaving that place in the temple and Jesus once and for all opening up the veil for us to come behind the scenes with him and have direct access. This whole story, it's all about authority. Later on, Jesus would say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and preach the gospel and make disciples. This message, the message of the Holy Spirit, the reason it's important to understand the Holy Spirit in our life is because Jesus, he said, when I ascend on high, I'll give gifts down to men. And he gave this gift of the Holy Spirit to us. And part of that gift, one of the main attributes of the gift or the receiving, the infilling of the Holy Spirit was a crazy boldness that would come upon people that didn't even make sense. A boldness that would arise in them that, that superseded their, uh, their personal or their own intelligence. It superseded their education. It superseded their own gifts within themselves. What God wants to release in your life by the Holy Spirit is a boldness and an authority to walk in his power. Jesus literally declared that if you believe in me, you'll do the same things I'm doing and even greater things. It's about authority. We've all got to learn how to receive this teaching today and to walk in greater levels of authority. Jesus literally told his disciples, the type of authority is so big that you could speak to a mountain. And he's literally pointing most likely at the Mount of Olives that he was going up and then coming down to come into Jerusalem. You can speak to this mountain and command it to be moved. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe what you ask, you shall have it. And then he goes on to say that, that when, you, when you pray, he says specifically, when you pray, believe that you have already received it and then you shall have it. What Jesus is talking about is a type of faith that he had described multiple times before when he said you have to have faith like a mustard seed. A mustard seed, and one of the, the teachings that I learned about from the Jewish culture is that a mustard seed isn't necessarily the smallest seed. There are other seeds that are smaller, but a mustard seed is so small it can't be divided. It can't be cut in two. A mustard seed is an indivisible seed, and so we as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to come to a place in our lives where our faith is so singular, our faith is so resolute, it's indivisible faith. We absolutely believe it and we declare it and we hold on to it and we have no room for doubt in our hearts because we have such an indivisible faith and the goodness of God and when we pray and when we declare, we know that we have already received it and we know that we shall have it. See, there's a gap between the have received it already and the shall have it in the natural. 
I remember a time personally, and it was uh, with our, our, our daughter, um, Blakely, when she was born, and Blakely was a surprise baby for us. We had been trying for a number of years. Um, it wasn't working, um, and so we thought, I guess we're just going to have one uh, baby girl. Sydney was our little uh, two-and-a-half-year-old at the time or so, and, and we were three-year-old at the time, and we were just set, and you know what? This is us. We're just going to have it. It's just you, me, and Sid, and this is our family, and all that, and, and, and so we, we quit thinking about it. We quit trying. I mean, never mind. We, but we quit thinking about it. And all of a sudden, miraculously, Jennifer's pregnant. And we're celebrating. We're excited. It's wonderful. It's great. And then all of a sudden, it comes time for the baby to be born. And when Blakely is born, the hospital and the insurance company pulled this little whoop-de-doo. And we had one deductible that we had already planned for that was a large deductible. And the way there was this loophole in the insurance, and whenever Blakely was born, the loophole was that she had her own deductible that was separate from Jennifer's deductible, and that was due to... And literally in an instant, we had this moment of, for me, of, of, of ups, being upset. We're celebrating the life of our baby. Now I've got double the debt. My poor little Blake was born in debt, right? The Bible says we're born into sin. She was born in debt, right? And I'm like, Father, I said, and I just had this weird experience with God. I said, God, th- we weren't trying. Th- this is your plan. This is your baby. Guess what? Your baby, your bill. I'm not paying it. You pay it. That was my prayer. And I just had this weird resolution singleness of my faith. I'm not paying that bill. God's going to pay it. He's going to take care of it. His baby, his bill. Jennifer would ask, what are you going to do? His baby, his bill. His bill, he's taking care of it. Well, lo and behold, we had a couple of things that happened. And within 30 days, we had the entire amount of money that we needed to take care of both of those bills and, ta- and pay all of that stuff off. It all came. And I would love to tell you that I operate in that kind of singleness of faith every single day and every time I turn around, but it's just simply not true. We have moments that we're so single-minded and so single-focused and so indivisible in our faith. And then we have moments that we waver. We have moments where we're, where we're double-minded and, and we have have to really work on it. But guess what? Jesus is okay with that. There's actually a story where someone said, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus will even help you when you're in your times of questioning and wondering. But this recipe right here of having a singleness of faith is so powerful. The more we can do this, the better. The more we can be absolutely certain of the will of God for our lives, that what God has intended for us. Come on, can I tell you that it is not your, it is not God's will for you to be sick. It is not God's will for you to go through this uh, virus in fear. It's not God's will for you to go through this uh, situation, this pandemic, and go completely backwards and lose your business. That is not God's desire. He only desires good for you. Do do bad things happen? Sure, but it's not his will. It's not his desire. And we've got to have a singleness of focus. Does that mean that certain people aren't going to struggle and go through hard times? No. Jesus actually promised that tribulation would come and that we would have moments uh, of trial and we would have moments of trial. Those things are going to happen. But then he said, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And what is it that overcomes the world? He said, even our faith, the faith that we have, that single-minded faith. So I want to declare to you that you're going to make it and your family's going to make it and you're going to walk in divine health and you're going to walk in divine provision and every single need you have will be met in the name of Jesus. You will not lack because everything that you have has been already provided for by Jesus. Every need according to his goodness and his riches and glory will be provided for you. If we keep his kingdom first, we keep our focus on him, 
We don't have to focus on, on the problem. We don't have to focus on the issue. We focus on him and he'll give us divine wisdom to overcome. God has huge things in store for you. My big question for you today is simply this. With that type of authority being given into us and given into our lives, what are you allowing in your life? How are you wielding that authority? Are there things in your life that you're allowing that aren't God's will? Because you're maybe double-minded on it. You, you haven't been fully persuaded that God is your source and he is your supplier. Maybe you've been stuck inside of a, a cycle of behavior thinking that maybe this is just who I am and that's a double-minded statement because we know that Jesus Christ himself is our identity and he's the one that frees us from sin. He frees us from the bonds of slavery to sin and he releases us to be led by the spirit and to be the children of the living God. We can all fall into a place where we're allowing certain things because our, our own thinking, our own mindsets are not where they're supposed to be. So maybe you're dealing with some kind of a burden and you're not supposed to. See, uh, maybe we have behaviors in our life that are blocking our boldness. We're supposed to be bold with our faith. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. It says to come boldly before the throne of grace. But, but sometimes our own behaviors or our own burdens that we're carrying will block our boldness and cause us to allow things in our life that are simply not his will for us to deal with in our lives. He wants us to rise above and he wants us to overcome. I wanna lead you into this next part of the message and I wanna share something with you that's so powerful and so important for you to know and to understand. And, and that is that when Jesus was in the process of explaining the gift of the Holy Spirit to his disciples, he added a caveat. He added something special and specific inside of that message. And it's found in the book of John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24. I'm going to read this passage to you very quickly. And I want to dive into the revelation of what this is really all about. But Jesus said in that passage, in that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy will be complete. Jesus gave us his name. Along with receiving the Holy Spirit, he gave us his name. And I want to go into that for a moment because I want you to really, truly, deeply understand. We believers, we Christians, we pray our prayers. And because of this verse, we typically end every prayer that we pray with the phrase, in Jesus' name, amen. And if we're not careful, we can think that that's some kind of a magic, pixie dust, hocus pocus, little set of words that you put in there. And if you magically say those words just right, then your prayers will be answered. But that's simply not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about, and I'm not saying don't pray your prayers in Jesus' name. You should. But it's not, about, it's not about an incantation. It's not about a handful of words that you say. This is about a revelation of relationship. Jesus, when he gave us his name, the word name means character and authority. When Jesus gave us his name, he wasn't just giving us his, his actual name that he was called, Yeshua. He wasn't just giving us that name to say in some kind of a phrase. He was giving us something completely different. He was giving us his character and his authority. 
His name is his character and his authority. And it's more than just putting it into a prayer. It's about understanding and having a revelation of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. See, there's a story that is told in the book of Acts of these sons of Sceva who were trying to cast out demons from a certain man. And they went into this man's house to cast the demon out. And they said, in the name of Paul or pardon me, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about, come out. And the demon recognized instantly, these people have heard of Jesus. They've heard of Paul, but they have no relationship. And this, this demon literally says, I've heard of Jesus. I know him. I know who Paul is. That guy walks in authority, but I've never heard of you. And this demon-possessed man beat these guys, the Bible literally says, bloody and naked, stripped. I mean, they went out completely humiliated because they were trying to use the name of Jesus as a magical statement as opposed to an actual revelation of relationship. When you understand that it's by the name, the authority, the, the, the power, the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in your life and the relationship you have with him, based on that relationship, now I go to my father, not on how I am, not on my own name, not on my own authority, not on my own righteousness. When I approach the father, I approach the father clothed in the identity of Jesus Christ. Man, somebody's gonna get this today. Clothed in the identity of Jesus Christ. When God looks at me, when I approach the Father, he looks at me and he doesn't see my frailty. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my lack. He doesn't see my, my weaknesses. What he sees is that I'm clothed in his son, Jesus Christ. And when I approach God, I don't approach him based on my weakness. I, I approach him based on Christ's strength. And I know that I'm right with him because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what gives me confidence. There was a time many years ago that um, some of you know I wrote a book about the supernatural, and, and I was in a season of my life as a youth pastor, when um, it's a luxury that you have when you're a youth pastor, that the only thing that you're focused on is trying to get these crazy kids to fall in love with Jesus. They, they don't have real problems yet a lot of times. They're not carrying mortgages. They're not dealing with marriage. They're not whatever, and you, you have a single focus. They're in a, a season of singleness. And you're able to focus on revival and passion and fire and love for God. And so many great revivals come out of great youth movements, which is why we're so uh, focused on the youth and the, and the young folk here at Oaks Church. But in this season, I was in this amazing season of revival. And literally every single youth service that we would have, people were getting healed. Miracles were happening. It was an incredible, amazing season. And I remember being invited by a, a pastor friend of mine to come and speak. And I'm like, sure, absolutely. I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, man, I want you to preach on healing and, and, and we're going to expect miracles. I'm like, great. That sounds awesome. This, this, I love this. And, and, and then I heard him advertising and he was literally advertising, come on this specific night. Joel Scribner's going to be here and we're going to see miracles and healings. You know, anybody who's sick, man, bring them. They're going to get healed because Joel Scribner's coming and I'm listening to his advertisement and I'm getting freaked out and scared because it, 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 look, it ain't about Joel Scribner going anywhere. My name, the name of Joel will get you a, a hot cup of Jack squad. That's about all it's worth. All right. It's not going to get you in many doors with my personal name, but I'm literally praying and I'm scared. I'm like, father, 
You got to do something. You got to show up. God, I don't feel worthy. And I, I don't, he's hyping me up too much. And this doesn't make me comfortable. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly that day. And that's the day that I got this revelation. He said, Joel, he said, I didn't ask you to go in your name. He goes, your name's no good. That's why I gave you mine. You go and you show up in my name and you watch what I do. And we had one of the most unbelievable miracle services, people getting healed from the get-go, an incredible time in the presence of God. But it was the revelation of the name of Jesus when I was looking at myself and I'm focusing on my own weakness. I'm focusing on my own lack of righteousness. I'm focusing on my own lack of authority and power. And that was focused on all the wrong things. I'm supposed to be focused on Jesus in his reality, in his righteousness, in his power. What types of prayers do you need to be praying? What types of declarations do you need to be making over your business, over your health, over your family, over your children? You've been given the name of Jesus. You literally have Jesus's credit in heaven. That's what you have. It'd be like Jesus giving you his gold card and saying, hey, when you need to go make a purchase, just use my name. Use my credit. Don't worry about your lack of credit. Don't worry about your lack of power, Don't, your, your purchasing power. I've already paid the price. Use my credit, my name, my authority, my purchasing power when you go to the Father. That's what Jesus gave us. And we got to move beyond our own limitations and we got to focus in on the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in our lives and that he is enough. He's enough. Do we need to work on and become the best versions of ourselves? Yes. Do we want to keep trying to sin less and less? Yes. But it's not about your righteousness. It's not about your name. It's about the name of Jesus Christ, his character, his righteousness, his Holy Spirit. When you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, you literally received the authority of the Spirit of God himself alive inside of you. And it's time for us as the church to arise and walk in the authority that he has for us. We've got to learn how to wield his name and walk in authority. I want to encourage you. The most important thing that you can do if you want to walk in more authority is focus on deepening your relationship with Jesus. How are you spending your time in the middle of this global, chaotic, pandemic world that we live in? Are you focusing in on building your relationship with Jesus? Because if you build that intimacy with Jesus in this time, if you dig a deeper well with Jesus and tap into the water of life of Jesus in this time, you're gonna come through this time with more authority, with more influence, with more power, with more ability to get things done in this world that we live in because you've deepened your relationship with Jesus and you're walking in his authority and you're wielding his name. On the flip side, if you're watching as many shows as you can watch and, and, and wasting as much time and playing as many games and doing all the different things that you can do just to twiddle your thumbs and get through this crazy season that we're in where you can't go anywhere, you're going to miss the biggest moment that you could ever have. God has literally stopped the world to get your attention. He stopped the world to get your attention, to snap you out of some of the patterns of behavior, snap you out of some of the patterns of belief, snap you out of some of the thoughts that you've been dealing with because he wants to shake you and wake you and give you a revelation of who he says you are. It's time for his church to arise. It's time for his church to pray 
bold prayers, to come boldly to the throne, to make powerful declarations, to take a powerful stand for right. God wants to use you in this time. Will you focus on your inabilities, your lack of character and your lack of authority and your lack of power? Will you focus on that or will you focus on building a deep, meaningful, rich relationship with Jesus Christ and move into a time and a season where the spirit of the living God literally fills you, fills you, fills you, and you stand tall and you walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit of the living God that's inside of your life through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Let me pray for you today. I wanna pray for your children. I wanna pray for your family, for your extended family. And I just want you to open your heart up. If you wanna just lift your hands right now, lift them up like you're gonna receive a gift. Father, right now I ask you to release a deeper level of faith upon your church. Release a deeper level of understanding upon your church. Release a greater revelation of who you are in Christ Jesus inside of our lives and elevate your people. Father, right now, show them the blockages. Show them the burdens that need to be laid down. Show them the, the distractions that need to be silenced so that they can come into that intimate place of knowing you in a deeper way in this season than ever before. Father, enrich the revelation of Jesus Christ in their lives and bring them to life and walking in authority and wielding your name in a manner they've not yet seen or tasted before. Father, release your glory upon your people. Glorify your name, Father, the same way that you did before. Glorify it again. God, we thank you for this Palm Sunday. We thank you for this chance to gather together on service online and, and be together in a service like this, we're grateful. Father, we're grateful for the salvations, people that you called to faith in you today, people that you called to belief in the name of Jesus today. If that's you, please leave us a comment or send us an, an email at info at oakschurch.com. We want to connect with you. We'll give you a Bible. We'll be there for you. We're gonna, we're, we can hook you up with a, with a virtual mentor, virtual prayer. Uh, in fact, that's something we're adding. If you need prayer, uh, make sure that you click the prayer button. We're actually, we have a number of volunteers that are now coming online and are going to be available for prayer. If you want to pray with someone live, you're going to have that opportunity. But make sure that you, on our website, click that prayer button and and, and partner and plug in with us because God is, is not finished with us. He's gonna do a new and an amazing, a great thing. He's gonna do it between and with using you and I and our families in this great church, Oaks Church. Thank you for being here. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.